around, I say maybe around my, you know, early 30s, I was like, okay, this isn't working. I need to just focus on doing a nine to five and okay, I'm done. You're listening to the Audio Brew Podcast, the podcast for people who make music. We are speaking with CEO and co-founder of Pulse Music Group Incorporated, Antonio Adams. Welcome to the show, Antonio. Oh, man, I'm, I'm honored. I'm privileged. I'm really excited. Just overwhelmed with the opportunity to be able to talk with you guys and just be able to kick it for a few. You are a producer and an artist, and you've been producing for something like over 18 years now, and you've been selling beats and everything else for about three years. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about what kind of production work you've been doing and what led you to this current point? Well, it's funny. I actually started off when I went to a high school called Duke Ellington School of Arts. So it started off with me being 14, really, because it was an art school. You know, we had visual arts first. So that was my primary major. But for some odd reason, I just kind of just spilled over into music since like 18 years old. I've just been going through all types of music. I grew up on music. My grandmother listened to jazz, gospel. Uh, my mom used to listen to old rock stuff that she used to like. So very, very huge variety of just music. You know, it kind of just stuck with me. And I, I looked at it as an opportunity to want to learn you know, it just took off from there. It was just an awesome, awesome journey. And then it kind of just spilled over into me being an artist. Of course, you want to promote your own music. You got to be an artist, seems like. But, you know, after a while, I started to just really wanted to just hone in on my craft and focus on production. And that's how I kind of got stuck in doing productions. That is really incredible. A lot of people don't realize that there's people out there that do what you do in helping produce music, creating beats, and getting that music out there to the people that don't necessarily have the time or the experience or the knowledge of how to do that, but to get music into the hands of other artists that can yeah. take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing because as you get older in your craft, it kind of spills over into, okay, I want to promote other people. I want to help other people who might see the same journey that they've went through within my story or, you know, things like that. And it just helps them out to be like, well, how did you get to this point? Sort of like the Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid theory, the older guy teaching the younger guy how to be better. And, you know, he kind of just excels in those things. And then he just carries on the torch. I find myself now being that Mr. Miyagi, quote unquote, not saying I'm all that, but just the Mr. Miyagi of, of experience of how you can do better and take what your dreams are and just excel and go past those. Wow, that's really awesome. It sounds like what you're saying is you're a service-focused person. Exactly, exactly. It's awesome because it gives you an opportunity for your creativity to see somebody else's creativity and to see how you might have the same idea of producing and then they come in with a whole totally different thing to make you kind of be like, huh, I didn't think about it in that aspect. You know, so it makes your creativity grow more and more. That learning curve of learning from each other and bouncing off each other. Like, I love that. I love the camaraderie that you can have when you're in the studio and it's just something fresh, something totally brand new. And you think one aspect and then it's a whole totally different aspect from a different mindset and it just makes it so worthwhile. So it's awesome. There's a certain amount of creativity that just can't happen unless somebody else is introduced into the mix. Exactly. It adds a different flair to it and it helps out some of those people that might come in and might not have an idea. And they're like, wait, everybody else is like kind of just going with this thing. Let me get my two cents in. It helps it out. I love the atmosphere of it. It's awesome. I'm looking over at my wife. Sometimes I'll do this. This is my wife, by the way. <laughs> Naomi and I are married for 20 years. I think we talked about that. 
Oh, yeah, we did, because you're married for 20 years. Yeah, Yeah, we actually share the same amount. My wife, uh, we met when we were 17. Uh, We worked at Walter Reed. From there, it's been inseparable. We've had an awesome, awesome journey. And she's actually helped keep me on the path, because around, I say maybe around my, you know, early 30s, I was like, okay, this isn't working. I need to just focus on doing a nine to five. And okay, I'm done. You know, I was like, babe, that's it. I'm not buying no more equipment. So, you know, that money can now go towards house or whatever. She was an awesome, awesome piece and very intricate in me staying focused, staying committed. She's like, babe, you have a gift. You know, don't give up on that. It comes from consistency. And once she said that statement, I was like a light bulb. I was like, huh, you're right. You know, if I give up now, all this hard work that I have done, all this work that I've done with artists, it'll just seem like it was for nothing. If I just stay consistent and keep going, you know, watch the journey of me being consistent, then I'll benefit from it as well as others. And I promise you from that day, it's just been like the onslaught of just awesome things happening. And that was actually like maybe five, six years ago. Yeah, there's something incredible in that when you have somebody there behind you to support you and encourage you to move forward. Mm-hmm. In the things that you've been dreaming about doing, especially when it comes to being a musician and having a studio, that stuff is expensive. It takes commitment and focus on those things. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty amazing. And being able to balance a family and a music career or even a music hobby can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. How have you been able to manage family, career, and music? Well, one thing I've realized is that you have to always have open communication. We've allowed our kids to be very self-expressive. Uh, my oldest is 24. Uh, my middle son, uh, Jeremiah, he's in college. He's 19, year old, be 20. He's super excited about that because he thinks he's grown. And my daughter, she's uh, getting ready to turn 18 in January. So We are very, very open with our kids to allow them to express when, you know, they might be thinking something or feeling or like, hey, you might be giving too much time to this. So even with my wife, you know, we're just communicating like, well, babe, you know, uh, do you have anything today? You know, we'll just go through a schedule and just create a a regimen of, you know, okay, well, let's move this around so that we can have family time. Well, let's do this. So, you know, once you finish this with a client, then we'll have just this time dedicated to making sure that we're getting time too. the balance for me actually came from just having open communication with my family. It has helped because it has showed that, okay, their concern, not on the background for my career or my music, but my concern was theirs first. And then they supported, well, okay, well, dad, he's doing everything he could and he's making sure that he's being with us. So uh, let's go ahead and support him just as much as support us. Uh, yeah, definitely. I appreciate my wife because I couldn't have done it without her and just helping with the household because she's the other part of that balance. If I'm in the studio with a client, you know, she's making sure that everything else is okay. So just having that balance with my whole entire family has helped out with it. One thing that you touched on there real briefly was family time. I see that as an intentional thing. It's not something that just happens while you're walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Being intentional with your family, with your spouse, to yeah. make sure that you're making room for them and making that space. Because if you're like me, you could easily go into the studio for the next week and not come out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And get mm-hmm. stuck in that black hole. <laughs> and be like, I yeah. produced 20 albums, but everyone's like, I mean, do you live yeah, here? Right. Yeah, I mean, for us, though, your first fans are your family, your immediate family. You don't want to let your fans down. You know, that's what we say. So if they're my number one fans, they're my first supporters, I got to make sure that they get everything that they need. Because when I need that support or that love or that push, 
they'll have the same passion and initiative that I have for them and they'll do it for me. So it's a give and take, you know, it's not a 50, 50, it's a hundred, a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yep. When fame leaves, your family stays. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Thank you for that, uh, Tim, (laughs) that recognition. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Although I'm in the studio with him all the time now, I kind of, I almost envy your wife's position now of like, just here, go take care of this while I take care of all this. Now I'm kind of like, I get to go and take care of that. And I get to be in the studio with him. So it's like, yeah. Oh. Well, my wife actually, she's actually in the studio with me, quote unquote, we share the space of an office and the studio. So a lot of times, you know, if I have some clients or if I'm in here producing or mixing and mastering and, you know, She'll be in here. We still kind of have that time, but it's just funny because we talked about having that time and now she wants to have a wall. So she wants to, <laughs> she wants to put a wall in just to separate. Okay, this is my side. This is all. She's a great help, even with the clients when they come in and we work together really, really good as far as maintaining the business. or we'll talk about certain things that needs to be done. And she's been a great help, you know, pushing and making sure that we're doing a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a rare thing to see couples that can work together so efficiently like that. Tim and I are definitely in that camp. Mm -hmm. We've always worked well together in business. But to shift subjects, I want to go back to something that you were talking about a little bit earlier. We talked about putting Mm -hmm. money into gear and things like that. Can you give us kind of a rundown of the type of gear that you're using right now in the studio, how that's helping you? So I started off a long time ago and i know i'm telling my age when i say this i used to use what they call was an e-machine i don't even think they even make those anymore uh it was made from i think either dell or whatever and i used hip-hop ej um that was one of the first softwares i had to learn software sequencing and learning how to actually put music in an arrangement and from there it went from me having just a keyboard, a MIDI keyboard, the Axion 25 with just Reason. And then it went from Reason to now me having Machine. Then I have the A25 with uh, Native Instruments. I have some gear with uh, Behringer, which are tube amps for the vocals. I have Behringer Channel Compressor. Uh, it's not a real huge, huge studio. Um, I do have a 25 uh, channel board, so if we need it to do... Uh, the additional, you know, for those type of people who want to bring in gear, then we could we, we do a little something here and here. So it's, it's kind of good to, you know, be excited with the stuff I have. I, I would say it's been 20 years of collecting a lot of stuff, a lot of, you know, some gear going bad and not having gear work at a certain time. But it's been fun because it has taught me a lot about patience and just knowing that, you know, if you stick to it, the benefit is in getting the joy and seeing once you have what you think is finished. You're never finished with any all your gear. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah. You're always gonna want something. <laughs> You're always gonna want something else because they're always coming out with new types of things or updates with, well, okay, I thought this was great a year ago. Now you got something else that's even better. So it, it never changes. But as a producer for me, I try to just get what works for me. And every studio is totally different. Can you elaborate a little bit on your workflow for how you go about creating music? Machine all day long. (laughs) I start off with machine only because of how intuitive it is in getting your creativity, getting your idea out. It's extremely easy. Back in the day, you know, I used to start off with sampling. One of the things I did and reason was I had what they call the Rex Looper or Recycle. I used Recycle for a long time. And Recycle, you had to go put the lines in. You had to individually chop the lines out. Once you did it, then you had to export that out. 
and then export the uh, Rex file into Reason. Then you had to play the Reason through the MIDI notes. That was just too much. My workflow seemed like I got tired of just chopping by the time I got to wanting to create music. With Machine, they have the libraries already there. And that's one thing I love. You can just go through the libraries, listen to them, and you're like, oh my God, I'm automatically inspired. And you can actually play them out. You can do the MIDI. And because it's a standalone, you know, a lot of people do the standalone. But for me, I actually open it up in Cubase and it creates a world of change because you already have machine with great sounds and great music. And you can just export it directly over to whatever DAW you have. And it changes the game with how you do anything in your workflow. I used to do maybe one track a day because of what I was thinking. And then now I'm doing maybe two or three, you know, with my wife's permission. But (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll have, you know, a lot of ideas where I'm just like, yo, where is this coming from? For me as a producer, I don't know about you guys. If I finish a track, I'm in my studio dancing. That's just me. That's something (laughs) I like to do. (laughs) <laughs> but if I'm not dancing, it's not a good track. If I'm dancing, I'm like, okay, we've done good. This is good. I'm like, hey, babe, how does the sound? And she'll give me a thumbs up. She'd be like, babe, I like that. Or she'd be like, uh, yeah, you need to work on that. I I'm not really feeling that. <laughs> so it's awesome. It's fun. Uh, Machine has definitely, definitely changed how I uh, attack doing music. And even having to upgrade from the Axiom 25 to the A25, it has helped in that workflow with complete control, too. You know, if I didn't have a machine, man, I'd probably be stuck like dinosaur like I used to do. For me, I don't want to take and go back once I've already gotten comfortable. And I think that's kind of the bad thing in production. You get comfortable sometimes and you don't want to challenge evolution within yourself. And I want to do that, but at the same time, I don't want to have to change too much. Yeah, that's kind of my anchor right there. I'm like, uh, it looks nice, but okay, let's just stick with this. Right now, my workflow is typically exporting out of machine and then pulling my tracks in to Studio One for Mm -hmm. mixing and some additional creativity work because there's some things that you just can't do in machine, but... Right. When you pull those tracks in to another system, then suddenly you've got a whole nother selection of tools mm-hmm. right at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. And it opens up additional doors of creativity when you do that. I remember telling you, though, there is a way that I think a lot of people have not realized that you can use machine as a VST, which is what I did. You can do it for any DAW. What you do is you just import whatever sounds that you're using and then just bring it into your arranger. And then you can have it like that. And once it goes to your arranger, it automatically turns as a WAV file. If you're doing a drum or if you're doing a guitar, if you're doing strings, it'll automatically import as either MIDI. If you have those two buttons that's on the side, on your right-hand side, where your uh, arranger is underneath, where the scenes are, you can drag those over and it'll turn directly into the sound. Yeah, once once I found that out, that actually increased, again, the workflow, because now everything you're doing, you can just drag and drop and put it into your DAW. So that definitely changes everything. And you just mix freely. Obviously, we want to send people to check out your music and the items that you have on your site. You've got some samples and various things there. What's your domain? Where, where do they go for that? So I actually have two of them. Uh, my first main one is www.postmusicgroupinc, 
www.dotwix.com backslash Pulse Music. Yes, it's long, but it's getting changed this year. <laughs> um, that's that's my main primarily one, only because I also do video tutorials of things that people might not see on YouTube. And I have a lot of people who've asked me, well, how do you do this? So I wanted to have my own site for that. And that's the main one. Uh, my second one, where it's just directly music, is www.airbit.com backslash Pulse Music. For other people that are listening to this that are interested in selling their beats or making music to sell, not in the traditional sense of making a song and selling it as yourself as an artist, but selling to other artists, mm-hmm. what kind of advice and would you give those people? And what would you recommend they do as some of their first steps? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, the first thing is... Don't get into it to think that you're going to make money instantly. Don't focus on the money per se. Focus on your craft. Focus on the gift that you already have and focus on learning what sounds good. A lot of producers I come across, they get frustrated because they can't sell music. And it's not because they're not a good producer and it's not because they can't make music. Uh, It's because their focus and their primary mission needs to be shifted. If you get into this thinking that I want to produce, I want to make money, you have to put your primary shift on your music and your craft. And once people start to hear it, they're going to want to support it anyway. You know, they're going to say, hey, I didn't know you produced or let me share this with somebody else. A lot of times I realize it's not yourself that sells, it's other people. Other people will hear your music and they'll support their share for you. And I got stuck in that limbo. I got stuck thinking I had to do all the work. I had to say it. I had to push it out. I'm realizing now within this year that a lot of people are like, hey, I love what you're doing. And they're sharing it to their page. And I'm talking about other producers, not just regular people. You know, other producers are sharing it to their pages like Facebook and Instagram. If you give somebody a gem or if you give somebody a a tool that helps them out, they'll help you out. For producers who want to sell music, I say focus on the craft first. Stay committed. Uh, Don't get into it for just, you know, being lucrative. There are a lot of things that can change within time that can get better with your music. That would be the main focus first. And then once you get an idea of how you want to do it, talk to somebody who's been selling music, see how it has worked for them, you know, get a blueprint and say, okay, well, this has worked for them. I think this might work for me. And then you just go as that, use that as a foundation and say, okay, let's see how this works. And then the first year, I guarantee you, it might not work. The second year, it might not work, but if you continually do the format through time and as you get patient and consistent, it'll start to work out. And that's how it worked for me. My first year was a fail. It was a bust. It was horrible. (laughs) It did not work. But my wife encouraged me, you know, the second year, it started to get better. And then we set a goal. We said, okay, this is the goal we want to try to meet. You know, we focused on that and focused on just making sure we put out good music and it's been successful since. Wow, that's really powerful. There's something to be said about word of mouth and consistency and goals and talking through these things. All of those things are amazing advice. And along those same lines, when we were talking over the phone the other day, you talked about different type of marketing style and approach that you take. Can you give us a little bit of insight on how you're doing that now? So one thing I realized that the music industry doesn't have is a lot of humbleness. And when I say humbleness, I'm talking about customer service. This business is not any really huge difference from any other business out there. 
as far as retail, as far as clothing restaurants, as far as all types of things that we deal with on an everyday basis. At some point, especially if you're talking about selling music, that, that means that you have a person on the other end that is spending their money. At some point, customer service has to be on the selling point, the number one thing that you focus on. Customer service has to be upfront. And because right now we're in a virtual world, especially with the pandemic, you have to be even more customer service based because they can't see you. They can't physically be there to say, okay, I can see this person, their demeanor. I love how they talk. You know, they have to physically see a virtual you now of what you're selling. You have to put your customer service at an all-time high. I always wanted to do different. I always wanted to be different from how everybody else did it. And one of the things that stuck with me was, you know, if I focus on my music and my craft, that's good. But if I also focus on making sure that once people who consume my music can come back again and again and again, that has to be customer service. They love it, but they'll come back and say, dude, I love how you are with your customer service. Like it's top notch. That's A1, A1 service. So to me, honestly, that's more important than even my music. You're there to try and match the music to what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I do with a lot of my clients before we start, I ask them, what is their vision? What is it that they're trying to accomplish? And then a lot of times they'll tell me what it is that they are trying to accomplish. And I say, okay, well, let's focus on getting that goal complete. For me, I'm always encouraging as opposed to discouraging. Not saying that I'm not going to tell them the truth. But one thing that I've realized with artists is that if you discourage the artist, they're going to go in. How am I going to do this if my engineer doesn't even have confidence in me? I'll encourage them first. I'll say, OK, let's do a take. Right. And we'll do a take. And of course, the, the adamant question is, how was that? I'll say, well, how, <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, well, how do you feel about it? I'll revert the question back to them. So it's like I'm a mixed engineer slash psychologist almost, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll revert it back to them. And a lot of times, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I can do that again. You know, a lot of times if they're truthful with themselves, you don't have to really say anything. They'll be truthful and say, well, no, I can do that again. And I'll encourage them to say, you know what? I agree with you. Let's let's try and do that again. That's the difference for me. And that's one thing I wanted when I was in the studio. I had an engineer that said nothing. He just was like, uh, okay, well, you have like 30 minutes left. I'm like, wow, okay. Whoa. He, <laughs> that was you helpful. Know, but, but it, that really makes you perform it, your best. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was he was directly and straight to the point. But again, you can't blame people for what they don't know. That's true. You know? You can't blame people for it, the lack of experience of what they haven't received themselves. As I got older and, you know, more mature in my music craft, I said, OK, I'm not going to hold that against him. Maybe he just didn't know. Maybe he didn't never experienced it. So let me be, you know, just a small light and maybe I can help out for people who might, you know, even with the podcast, like, well, let me try that with my, you know, my studio and see how it works. Mm -hmm. And you just never know how it might just spread like wildfire and it could change the whole entire industry. You have a story for us that we asked you to think about, try and find something that you've been through as a producer that was rather difficult or there was some sort of a gear failure or a point in your career where things just were not going right and how you got through that? Uh, there was this one time where I had a client come in and we were recording. We were halfway through, you know, recording his, his song. And in the middle of it, 
I came across the issue with a piece of my gear, which was my Behringer two-channel preamp. I'm hearing this buzz, and I was thinking it was a ground issue at first, and it wasn't. I said, okay. So I told him, hold on a sec. I started to check it out, and lo and behold, it just cut itself off. It said, I'm tired for the day. I'm just not doing anymore. So I went and got my backup preamp, and I plugged that in, and lo and behold, that wasn't working. And this is my backup. So I'm looking at my wife. My wife, she's like, babe, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll just get another preamp. You know, you can order it tomorrow even. I'm saying, no, I need to get this done. This client has paid. We need to get this done tonight. You know, I don't know how we're going to do this. My wife was patient the whole time. Like, she was just calm, and she was calming me down, and I'm just trying to focus on getting the gear right. And I say, like, 10, 15 minutes after, it decides it wants to just cut itself back on. and I said, okay, I don't know what this is about. I considered a blessing. And I said, well, I told the client, let's go ahead and get it now since I got it on. What I found out was it wasn't a tube. One of the sockets on the second channel had burnt out. So all I had to do was actually just switch it over to the second channel. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the part I didn't tell you guys. I could have just switched it over to the second channel and used the second channel uh, because it has left and right. One thing I realized within that I did get frustrated, and you do get extremely frustrated when your gear fails on you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the worst thing. Even when your gear fails, you still got to be calm. You got to be patient. You got to, you know, sift through it, because sometimes it might not be the gear. It might be you out of frustration. Client left happy. He left with his music. I was happy because I went ahead and said, I'm just going to order another piece. It's awesome because it's a funny story now. At the time, it wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was it was very upsetting, but all gear is gonna fail on you. Period. There's there's just no it's no getting around it. It's man made. Just knowing how to troubleshoot, even in the midst of that, you know, somebody's always watching how you're doing stuff. And my client looked at me at first and was like, "Are we going to be able to do this tonight? You okay?" And I'm supposed to be the one calming him. It was a very interesting session, but we got through it. That can be quite the challenge and something is not working correctly. And you just think to yourself, what do I look like to this <laughs> this client here? That was my immediate thought because, I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I'm sorry. I, I like to make sure things are right because I know what I want and what I want is the best. I want the best quality. I want the best that you can offer me. So I exude that with my clients. And for that to happen, it was just like, Oh, man, why did this happen now? Like, it was a good session, too. If you could share one more thing for the aspiring producer, what would that be? I was sitting here going through a list of, like, certain things that producers do when it comes to their music and learning. And a lot of people have asked me this question. Where do you get your ideas from? Where do you get your creativity from? And it's a very interesting question. Because I was like, where do I get my creativity from? And I had to think about that. I sat there the other day. I was like, how would I answer that? I said, well, I get my creativity from listening to multiple things. Like, you know, listen to different music. Multiple inspirations come from different places. I ended up telling the person that my creativity honestly comes from my family. That was my my final answer for him. When I told him that, he said, wow. And he's from the UK. He said, that's very interesting because I was sitting here the other day and I was outside my lawn and I asked my wife a question and 
she was my main inspiration for me wanting to make music that day. And I said, well, there you go. So when somebody asks you a question, even though it might sound crazy, you just never know that that answer might be what they was looking for. Like it, to me, I thought it was, I was like, well, my family, that's the only thing I can think of. And to him, it was like, you know, gold. Well, thank you for being a guest on the show. It's been really great to talk with you. Like I said earlier, I'm honored. I would love to talk to you guys again. Absolutely. I definitely think what you guys are doing is very important to the audio community. I think it's awesome what you're doing. Um, I just want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because there's a lot of people that's listening. I guarantee you that a lot of people are getting a lot of, you know, solid meat from this. Well, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to us. We just want to take what your experiences are what our experiences are and get that out there share it let everybody know they're not alone in this and give back to the music community because yeah so many people in the music community are just constantly giving and giving Mm -hmm. and giving and putting Mm -hmm. music out there and doing all this stuff in it and it's beneficial to give back because all of us making music need that Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please show your support by subscribing to this podcast. Visit us at theaudiobrew.com and sign up for the handcrafted email. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You've been listening to the Audio Brew Podcast from Rockaway Beach, Oregon.